Good morning. Good morning. How oh, are wow. you? You have sound. You 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 learned how to use it. Yes, I have sound. <laughs> You're in your car. Why are you I in have, your car? Because I just did a hike in the woods. Now I can have my coffee in the car post hike while talking to you. Well, that's great because I'm drinking my coffee as well while I am talking to you. You know, there's a term for this. I think there's a term for this in one of the Scandinavian countries. I think it might be Finland. It's called finca. It means to sit and enjoy a cup of coffee with a friend and just, you know, not being distracted, not, not drinking coffee while working, which is what I do most mornings. I feel like I just also discovered that word and they were talking, where did I look? Where did I hear it? And they were like talking about it, meaning like the joys of like, you know, it's basically like uh, dolce far niente, like the sweetness of nothing. Like it's about, it's like the joy of letting your mind wander. Oh, I love that term. What's it called again? Dolce. La dolce, la dolce far niente. La dolce far niente. The sweet nothing. Oh, that, that sounds Italian. Niente. It's so Italian. It's very Italian, but Italian and Spanish are actually very similar to each other. And one thing that I am learning from living in Costa Rica is that my Spanish accent really needs a lot of improvement. And um, I have a friend who's a Tico. He's a local and he's also a poet. And we get together on Thursdays and uh, just talk poetry back and forth between Spanish and English. His English is so much better than my Spanish. But every time I open my mouth to say anything, he corrects my pronunciation as well as my grammar. And I'm just wow. like... Wow. Are you sure? Wait, are you sure he's not French? Because that sounds like a French... <laughs> Uh, it sounds I, like a French thing. Oh my God. Well, you can't blame them. Like the language is beautiful as where English, no one, <laughs> I feel like, I feel like you just don't want to correct people's English because you're just like, eh, it's not that great a language anyway. <laughs> oh, speaking of French. Oh uh-huh. my God. Can I go on a quick tangent? Yes, you can. Okay. This show, Emily in Paris on Netflix. I want to say is the worst show one of the worst shows I've ever seen in my life and apparently it was nominated for a golden globe right is that the thing that tv shows are nominated for or whatever yeah no it is it is like all the veins are bulging out at once in my neck so I'm like trying to get words out but I can't because my neck feels like it's gonna explode like an angry frog (laughs) so okay when I first saw when I first kind of saw like um you know the the show art on Netflix like a little while back I was like oh Paris I miss Paris I thought I would hate it but I actually ended up loving it oh I want to see this freaking American girl go to Paris oh isn't that like fun um oh it's gonna be silly and fun whatever uh lo and behold I ended up so I ended up actually look there is a lot of backlash uh, with Emily in Paris because it's very it makes it plays on all sorts of like horrible stereotypes it makes Mm -hmm. Americans look like absolute trashy idiots who are also very irritating um I mean fine Americans are irritating whatever fine but it also just it's just awful and then it makes French people look like a bunch of like assholes and it just plays on all these stereotypes and it's really I think it's really really gross I was watching all these these French YouTubers talk about how upsetting it is and how um kind of disdainful they find it but also I I decided yesterday I was 
was like, you know what? I'm done with my latest. I binge watched my latest stupid show that was really stupid, but I also enjoyed it, even though it was really stupid and and like, oh, just full of crazy tropes. Still enjoyed it. Not going to name it because I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> Wait, what? Um, Tell me the name of the show you enjoyed. <sighs> Virgin River. What's that so about? Tropy and stupid. It's about. <laughs> oh, it makes me want to throw up to even say. It's about um, a Los Angeles like nurse who like moves to Northern California, which we know is so rural, and people are just so down to earth and rural. And she like she and this this guy who owns a bar. bar like you know, there's obviously a love thing there, but he's like fucking this other girl. But he never wanted to be serious with this other girl, you know, but now that he's met this girl, now he wants to be serious. And it's just like, it's so gross because his character angers me beyond belief. The fact that he is like, that's actually the most realistic thing in this whole show, which I did enjoy, but it's also like very cringy. I really did enjoy it though, (laughs) because it's like one of those things where you're like, this is cringy and awful, but I am still, it's like comfort food, you know? And um, like you're not necessarily getting like the kind of nourishment your body really wants, but you're like, but it is calories, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yes. So it'll kind of it's keep you better alive than listening to this. It's like this is terrible, but it's still better than listening to the sadness inside my own head. Oh my god, yes, that is literally why I started watching it. So I ended up, re- I ended up uh, binging. I think it was like two seasons, so I binged two seasons, and I enjoyed it. And I was sad when I was finished binging it of course there'll be I'm sure another season um but like I I said like the most accurate like the most believable thing in that show was that a guy was like fucking this beautiful seems to be like decent you know good woman and then this other woman who's blonde rolls into town and she's gorgeous like they're both Mm. gorgeous women and he's all like oh man I never thought I could feel this way I like that you know I like that you're not like wanting to be with me necessarily but I don't want to like I'm gonna keep fucking this other girl on the side but like she knows that I'm not serious about her you know and then it's just so it's so despicable yeah we're supposed to root for this guy and he's supposed to be the male protagonist and we're supposed to be like oh no no he's a fucking fucker he's not are you sure he's not an anti-hero like we're supposed to no, watch he's not. him and- no oh. no 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 he is not an anti-hero oh. that's a thing it's so i find that really despicable um i really like yeah, the you're female character it. and actor in it though i really like her um so yeah i, I binge that oh. so then i was like you know what fine i'll just watch emily in paris because i need another like stupid show to watch um that is like so stupid and pointless (laughs) and i tried to watch well actually i tried to watch part of it part of part of episode one a couple days ago and andrew was in his office and he was just like listening to this show makes me want to kill myself he's like what is this show he literally said that and I said it's called Emily in Paris and I said I'm really embarrassed to be watching it it is really disgusting so I turned it off and then I was like you know what I love Paris and then I started watching it again yesterday and finally was able to like choke down episode one and then I just had to message you know my best friend Sage and tell her how disgusting I find it um I just find this show really I abhor it 
I I think it's so disgusting. It's like I mean it's it's created by the it's created and written by the guy who did Sex in the City. Oh, Darren Star. And it basically is Sex in the City yet without like female friendship. It's so far it seems <laughs> like the women like the older female character is is hor- horrific to the younger female character and obviously and jealous and they're fighting over like I think a guy and uh. younger female character is dressed in and like people have taken the show apart I, uh, I guess it's nice art as long as art inspires feeling whatever so the the lead female character dresses in these absolutely tacky like high fashion tacky crap with like giant heels and just and I guess this this channel called I think it's called the financial diet I think she took apart how much the clothes actually like she did the calculations of how much these clothes cost because it was like Chanel and like you know I don't know other brands that are also fancy and um the outfits cost like just thousands and thousands of dollars but then you have the lead character being like like I don't know how to be glamorous and have that je ne sais quoi like you French people but she's wearing like an outfit that costs four to five thousand dollars with her hair and her makeup like done obviously by a makeup artist and not her standing there being like I'm just like a regular American and I'm like go fuck yourself Darren Star it needs to balance because you cannot I'm not gonna sit here and be like every single show needs to represent every single person and we just need to force the narrative um one balls to the walls i'm not gonna sit here and say that because i'm like then you basically destroy any sort of authenticity in art but it needs to have a balance like let's be smarter and wiser but not artificially shove things too hard just balance i don't know how to say that balance no balance is good i like i think balance is almost always the answer yeah you know what i thought was a really pretty good show for sort of for those reasons for but the good place, you know, like in terms of trying to balance things, not so much about body type, I guess, but they, you know, if you haven't seen The Good Place, The Good Place is <laughs> about a girl who dies. She's a woman. She's an adult woman who dies and she goes to The Good Place. And they had um, two Americans there. One, you know, a, uh, a European American. One was, I, I actually don't know what Jason's character is. I think he was like Filipino American. Yeah, I, but I, I mean, he was just, I mean, he was American. He was from trashy Florida. Yes, he was, but he <laughs> And that was like the big thing about him being from trashy Florida. No, but he was, he was Jacksonville, Jacksonville, Florida. Jacksonville, but he, but he, he was American. He was American, but he was like not of European descent. And I, I never really understood what his ethnicity was, which well, maybe is was, the point. I think, he's, I think I looked him up because I found him so sexy. And I was like, not his, not his dumb, not his dumbness, not his character's dumbness. No. But like but, if he didn't but, open his mouth. That sounds but so the wrong. actor, oh man, and now I need to know. I think he's, I think he's Filipino because I think I, I think I looked him up. I'm gonna have to do that. But then they also had um, a character named Tahani Ajamil who was Middle Eastern descent, but she had been raised in England. And then you also had a character named. 
named um, Chidi, who was from Africa, uh, but everyone could speak English because it's the good place and like everyone can understand each other. So that sounded so problematic before. Like everyone speaks English because that's how it is in heaven. It's like, no, that's not what we were saying. No, that's not what we're saying. We're just saying that everyone can can speak the same language. And because it's a show made in America. Everyone can communicate openly. Yeah. Um, But anyways, I remember watching some kind of something or other interview with the creators. And they were all like, yeah, if if we're going to go to heaven, we want it to represent more than one country. Like, you know, we want to have characters from all over the world in the same place together. Uh, You know, so. um, So, yeah. So anyways, no, it's Kristen Bell, who is Eleanor. It's Jamila Jamil, who is Tahania Jamil. It's William Jackson, who is Chidi. And it's Manny Jacinto, uh, who's playing um, Jacksonville. Jason. Jason. From Jacksonville. And- oh, my God. And Darcy Carden and Ted oh, Danson. She's and so good. Maya Rudolph and Mark Evan Jackson and Tia Sirkar. Anyways, it's a great show. And I thought they did a great job intentionally of um, like balancing out the the cast and making sure that it was a group that represents the the world and not just this like Americanized or European-centric view of the world. So I thought that yeah. was really cool that they did that um and of course it worked like gangbusters it was it's one of my favorite shows it's pretty fucking good yeah it's amazing you know what What was our talking about when you were talking about uh emily in paris you know what it reminded me Mm. of is it reminded me of how i feel about the gilmore girls oh god Because I started watching it because I love looking at like these little New England towns and fantasizing. And and coffee and super, super skinny, delicate brunettes being like, I love cake and chips and I eat it all day long. No, that was another thing that like absolutely drove me nuts. I'm just like, no, you don't. No, you don't. No, you fucking don't. No, you fucking don't. Yeah, I watched all the Gilmore Girls. I watched I watched the whole season because I love the idea being a West Coaster. I loved like I was like, oh my god, New England and like fall yes. and like a little a little town. And yeah, the some of the characters are so annoying. You wish they would get smashed in the head with a hammer, but not in real life because <laughs> I don't I don't believe in violence. No, uh, you know what? But oh you know and like the funny. absolute wealth. Like I'm sorry, this is what I always say when I talk about Gilmore girls, because to me it was the most upsetting moment. <laughs> Was uh-huh. when, and I, and I don't think this gives anything away. I don't think this, uh, you know, our, our good friend Chris was actually watching it with her daughter. Um, and I told her this was so upsetting, but, you know, I didn't want to spoil it for her. Um, <clears throat> there's a point when Rory, the, um, you know, the daughter of Lorelai, who is like going into college years, she is so fraught with and so upset and just like going through a really hard time because her dad and her grandparents are fighting who gets to pay for her to go to an Ivy League school. And that made me want to smash my fucking TV while I'm sitting there filling out my goddamn FAFSA form so I can fucking go to school (laughs) and be all like, please let me 
me get an education. I really want one. I really hope like I can get some financial aid so I can actually just get a fucking education. That made me right. want to, oh, I just want to smash my TV. No, I loved, I, okay. So I had a very similar experience with Gilmore Girls that you're having with Emily in Paris. It's like, I wanted to watch it because I wanted to fantasize about living in New England and working at the Independence Inn and being surrounded by these quirky characters and watching the yeah. leaves turn color. It was really good fantasy fodder. But then they would throw in things like that, like exactly like that, where there would be, because there's earlier on, it's, it's similar stuff like Lorelai is so upset because her parents are offering to pay for her daughter's education <laughs> or trying to like give her God. money for the house. And she's like, I'm uh, trying to show that I'm independent. And I'm just like, I cannot relate to this. Um, I think most, most of us can't, can't relate to this. Most fucking people can't relate to it. Most people are like, just like, please God, I hope I can make rent this month. Absolutely. But, yeah. you know. Oh, goddamn Hollywood. Fair. I'm sorry. I know Hollywood loves to pat themselves on the back and be like, we are just so, like, enlightened and ahead of our time. And we really, like, we really see the people struggle. I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> like, the fact that you, like, you literally can't even imagine what it's like to be poor and struggling well, is very okay. obvious to me. <laughs> to be <laughs> Fair. To be fair, uh, as much as shows like the Gilmore Girls and now Emily in Paris, I feel like just totally fail at representing the majority of Americans. Like mm -hmm. also those shows are there for escapism and those shows. Yeah. Which is like, why I watched Emily in Paris, which is why I tried to watch it. But even <laughs> then, when, when does it cross the line between escapism and like, I'm literally going to freak the fuck out because this is so, uh, I don't know upsetting how full of bullshit this is <laughs> <laughs> i think every person has to decide that for themselves you find i watched outlander your... outlander's mm. great i fucking love outlander i think outlander's really fun okay except i don't like all the it's i wish it weren't <laughs> i don't like the bodice ripper stuff i'm into more the thriller stuff and I don't like all the, I'm not a prude. You know, I'm not a prude. No. Uh, but not that being a prude's a bad thing. Ooh, is that prude shaming? Fuck. Is that a thing? That's probably a thing. Let's not do that. We can make it a thing and then we can <laughs> shame ourselves for prude shaming. So I don't like all the sex scenes because I'm like, if I'm going to watch porn, it's going to be hardcore, not fucking softcore, boring. <laughs> and I just wanted the thriller stuff. So I started Outlander not realizing that it's like, Part historical fiction, part thriller, part fantasy, mm. and also, unfortunately, part bodice ripper. Do you have a problem with the fact they're wearing bodices or that the bodices are being ripped? I have a problem with, like, the long, drawn-out, like, sex scenes are just really... I'm not offended by them by any means. I'm just more like, can we just get to, like, the action and the thriller <laughs> and the cool time... It's, like, about fucking time travel. And I don't mind a little bit of the sex, but it's just a little, like... Uh, I, I don't find it like super thrilling. What does it say about me? Well, I guess it's just like, I like hardcore, not softcore. Okay, there you go. So it's like less sex, more time travel and violence. Yes. Okay. Well, speaking <laughs> of TV shows, because this episode is just going to be what Liz and Trisha are watching. <laughs> we're just going to talk about finding our happy spot with the media and what we're watching. Which you're right, Liz, that, that is really a very interesting um topic who's not looking for escapism you know though the industry that did amazingly during the depression was the movie industry, the movie industry. okay because so you just needed all, to get away 
from your life. Alan, my husband, Alan Rubenstein, just published an article on the 70s movies. And like, um, it's actually a publication coming out in the UK. And I ask him and I will put it in the show notes because I know the name of the publisher and I know what he was writing about. And I know um, I read the whole article, but I actually don't know the name of the publication. Bad Tricia. Bad Tricia. But in any event, he was talking about basically the difference between the 60s and the 70s. And it was like the 60s were looking in in the media, the 60s were looking at the younger generation and all the things they were doing. And it was kind of treating them like a freak show. And everything was very bright and colorful. And it was all about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But it was very hollow and empty. And then in the 70s, they started taking a more honest look at what was going on in America that was causing all the young people to want to, um, you know, kind of reject, rebel. yeah, rebel against the 1950s. And they were showing kind of the, the, the way people were feeling disenfranchised and alienated after, after the war. And, um, it was a much more authentic look at kind of the sadness of the generation. And that's why you went from like all of these bright colors to this, um, you know, if you think about the 70s, it's all this like, uh, you know, army green and mustard yellow and all of these uh, colors that were not primary colors and more muted and everything. And um, all of these like landscapes that are a little more desolate. So, so yeah, I mean, there's definitely like this back and forth between society and the media and some things are there as escapism. Some things totally misrepresent the culture and just are trying to make fun of it or have fun with it. And then other things are there to, you know, as Hamlet says, put the mirror up to nature and, and show us what we look like as a culture. What do you, what do you go to? Like, what makes you happy in terms of your media? Like what, what are the shows that actually make you put you in your happy place? Okay. I really do love period pieces Mm -hmm. um, because I mean, I think now you're actually seeing this real emergence of this cottage core community, which is funny because, well, so cottage core to define it, cottage core is like um, an aesthetic appeal harking back to the like the 1800s and more like um, you know cottagey gardeny raising chickens life which I've always loved because we also grew up kind of you know raising chickens and goats and yes. so I, but before it became a thing I remember I would love I loved to buy these magazines called like romantic country magazine and I was like really hardcore like anything that was like 1800s you and I grew up partially in you know paradise which burned down to the ground um, <laughs> a couple of years back and I remember we would have like these pioneer days and yes. you would we would do like butter churning and I just remember that being like the best thing ever I'm like I love this churning butter and like oh my god so much fun so awesome and I told that to Andrew recently like it was so great and he's like that sounds awful (laughs) and I'm like what so cottagecore um I just I just discovered the term like two months ago because I didn't realize there was a term for people like me I just thought according to Andrew I just thought it was like grandma aesthetic um or shabby chic was also like a term yeah um so 
uh, finding like any shows that have the cottage core. It doesn't have to be the 1800s. Like Virgin River was the show that felt very cottage core in a way. Um, it's like about like my rural life and everyone knows each other's names and we all live in this yeah. like small town and um, cozy cabins and fireplaces, you know, and um, anything like that. I loved Anne with an E, which, uh, you know, is about is like um, kind of like Anne of Green Gables. It's like Anne of Green Gables, except they pretty much redo almost the complete, like they redo the whole plot pretty much. Oh, and really? just start making up shit. You know what? <laughs> yeah. I think I, I just sort of embarrassed very um, vaguely aware about it. Was it good? Would you recommend it? I really enjoyed it. Andrew and I actually watched it. We really enjoyed it. Um, it is with Canadian actors. So they're actually talented, which is great. Every time, like this is uncanny. I'm sorry, but like every time I see like a really, really fine actor on TV, I look at Andrew and I'm just like, there's no way this person's American. And almost every time, like I'd say about 90, I have been wrong, 90% of the time they are Canadian or British or Australian. I was like, there's no way this person's American. I can tell, I can tell, you know, by their acting ability. Um, (laughs) But sometimes people have shocked me. I'm like, wow, this person's a damn fine actor. And then I look it up and I'm like, they are American. And they're like from Florida, which is like (laughs) mind blowing. Um, that happened to me once. I was very shocked. Um, so I really did like Anne with an E. I think that is very cottage core. Uh, you know, it, it was comforting. They really, (laughs) it's Canadian. So they really, really forced the PC narrative. Like no one's business, like balls to the walls forced it, but I still really enjoyed it. Even though it was a little, it was, it definitely, it had a problem with being preachy Mm. kind of like, this is how, this is how the past should be. And I was like, yeah, but the past was not like that. You know, <laughs> like let's all hold hands and accept each other. And I'm like, wow, right. that sounds great. Um, and I also found it really funny. They had to force it so much that they had three gay characters, which as oh. you know, if you read the books, there were no I mean, of course there could be gay characters, you know, and they're of course gay people, but they like really, really forced it. They're all like three characters are gay, not one, but three. And we and have they're to not, talk about they're not it's like that, um two of them are not they talk about that about the struggles which i think is really good but it's a little like pretty forced you know what i mean okay um which i have a problem with i'm like if you're gonna force it so much that it completely takes me out of the story because i feel like you're preaching at me i have a problem with it i want to stay in the story so make it um make it make sense with the storyline and not like randomly here's representation and you know, right. a show that did that very well was um, called um, Haunting at Bly Manor. Okay. Did you watch that? No. That's very good. It's based on The Turn of the Screw by Henry James. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to give anything away, but there, there are definitely um, some really great characters who are gay. And they made it so, they, they interwove it to the narrative where, you know, like it was very, it was like, a very, you know, a very interesting adaptation of Turn of the Screw, which takes place in like the late 1800s. Mm-hmm. And they re- they reset this. Usually I hate when people do this because I love like the older times, but they reset it to in the 1980s. Okay. And because they did that, it made so much sense with what they redid with the plot. And it was, they interwove the, these, um, they were they were able to uh, give better representation to characters who often were neglected of representation, you know, in the past. Yeah. And they interwove it to the plot 
and the story and it made sense and it was beautiful and wonderful and well acted and great. And with an E fell short of that. Like it was, mm-hmm. it was wonderful and I loved it and I loved the characters, but they were, it was very much like this person is like, like this person we're just going to shove in there and we're not there. I just feel like it wasn't so much about this character and this character happens to be gay. I felt like it was like, this character is gay and that that's what's about this character. Yeah. 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 Just yeah. Like, I know you're trying. And also with Am with an E, they literally, tried, I feel like they tried to represent every single potentially marginalized person. And I'm like, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot to, <laughs> to throw into a story from the 1800s. That's a lot. 1800s Canada too, where I'm like, not every person is going to be like represented in 1800s Canada, rural Canada. <laughs> so I still loved it. Andrew loved it. We recommend it, but there is a lot of, a lot of that in there. Um, I feel like it could have been like, they, they bit off more than they could chew in that way, I think, which then does a disservice to the those characters because then you don't I feel like they don't get fleshed out enough Trisha yes what kind of media do you consume to get into your happy place okay I have a difficult relationship to the media right now and I think we've talked about this before but it's like I've been spending way too much time listening to the news and I realize a lot of it is just because I I'm isolated at home and for the for the last four years, I felt like I think everyone can relate to this. It was like watching a a car wreck happening. You just can't look away. And someone pointed this out. I don't know if it was Alan, my husband, or if it was somebody else on social media, but it's like not only are you watching a car accident, but you're watching one car get into an accident with another car that is carrying your entire country in it. So of course you can't look away. So for the last four years, it's like I've paid way more attention to the news than I ever paid attention to the news before, which to some extent is really good. It means that all of us are getting way more involved with politics. I feel like for those of us who were paying attention, who were moderately interested and informed before, we're now so much more well-educated on how our government actually works and the problems in it, which is great because it means that now that we're so aware of these problems, we can take action and feel motivated to take action to um, do anything. Like I found out there's one group just called Run for Something whose entire mission is to get regular people who maybe don't have the experience or um, the know-how or the connections to run for office, uh, it it trains them to actually run for office. So you're getting much more, uh, you're getting more people who have otherwise been um, kind of marginalized and disenfranchised now taking the reins of power of our government. So I think that's awesome. Um, so like this thing of listening to the news obsessively definitely has an upside to it. But I also realize in a lot of ways, I'm just listening to it because over the past four years, I've also developed like a friendship with the news anchors in some way. I'm just like, oh, Chris Hayes, Anderson Cooper, uh, Mika, Joe, how are you doing this morning? Just just tell me what's up in your lives and what's your take on the local politics. So I actually find myself, even if I don't listen to the news because I'm not in the mood to like find out what's going on in the world. I just feel like if I don't hear certain voices after a couple of um, days, I'm just like, oh, I wonder, I wonder how Chris Hayes is doing today. I haven't seen him in a while. 
And and I wonder how uh, you know how Chris Cuomo is doing. Like Chris Cuomo had um, uh, what do you call it? He had COVID for a while. <laughs> it was like, Chris, are you okay? You know, I'm starting to like just develop these pseudo relationships with the news anchors because they're talking to me about what's going on in the news. And sometimes I'll like turn on things like TYT with uh, Chank Uger and Anna Kasparian and John Iderola and Jr. and Francesca and uh, and I'm just listening to them because uh, if I don't hear them for a while, I miss the sounds of their voices. Um, so I, I don't know. I've become more aware that I I get this adrenaline rush too. Like we had, I think we all had this adrenaline rush feeling every time we turn on the news, and that can be really addictive. I'm not being hyperbolic there. You really get addicted to the adrenaline and the anger and the rage of feeling like you're fighting against this big evil. And then you feel kind of good because you're like, I'm on the side of good. And everyone that I'm listening to right now is confirming my beliefs. And so I feel like I'm part of this group of warriors and I feel so good about being on the right side of history against all those evil people who are on the wrong side of history. So you just get all this adrenaline. And so right now I'm kind of recognizing that and I'm realizing, well, I still want to be involved in politics. I still want to give to causes that I care about. And I don't want to be ignorant of what's going on in our government or turn a blind eye to it. I I do want to stay involved the way that we were getting way more involved in the last four years, but I also don't want to become an adrenaline junkie and be listening to the news all the time. Like our mother, (laughs) basically. Our mom is that. And no, I totally, I can totally relate like this. Like if you were, you know, in the world, the wizarding world of Harry Potter (laughs) and you're all like, yeah, we're all against Voldemort except for the absolute fucking assholes who are Death Eaters and for him, dipshits. And then Voldemort, like, you know, like gets defeated. Spoiler alert. Voldemort gets defeated, <laughs> and then you're all like, "Well, now what? Now what?" Yeah, I guess I we just th- take. I guess we just take out the the rest of the Death Eaters. I don't know. No, there's still so much to do, and so many ways to be involved. And um, I mean, there's so many challenges that are going on right now in the world. We all should still be involved. But we also can be involved in a more positive, proactive way, as opposed to just talking about what's going wrong in the world. Look at what is going right and then throw your time and your energy and your money into those causes and look at ways that you can make improvements and be a force for change, as opposed to just being passively on the sidelines, like watching this football game of politics. So, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. I... Again, I really want to advocate that people stay informed and stay involved because we need that in our country. But you also don't have to have, um, like for me, I'm very grateful that there are people who have the inclination and the skills and the passion to make social change their their career. And I know for myself, because I have worked in nonprofits briefly and I have worked in schools for a long time, I just know that there there are certain things that with my temperament, my tendencies, I'm not going to be able to do very effectively. They're not good for my life. But if I can like use my skills 
to make a little bit of extra money and then throw that money into the, you know, into backing other people who do have the temperament and the inclination to spend their whole life working in politics or nonprofits or other fields that are making these big changes. You know, if we all did that and we all were informed voters, then I think that would be enough to make really big changes. So, you know, you don't have to take it all on completely on your own, but do take a little time to do your part. So anyways, Mm. I mean, that's like, I think that's very off the topic of what media we get for our happy place. So so that's been the media that has given me like, um, how do I want to put this? This has been the media that has been giving me like an adrenaline addiction. (laughs) That doesn't Uh, sound like a happy place. It's not, it's not. So I've been thinking about like, what media should I be consuming to Mm. put me in a better place, not turning, you know, not just just turning a blind eye to what's going on in the world or abdicating um, my responsibility to be an active, helpful citizen in the world, but like, what can I do? What's the right balance? And what are some of the other media choices I can make to be putting myself in a better place? Um, so I'm not just angry all the time watching the news. So I don't know. I've been, I've been trying to consciously look for more podcasts that are happy and healthy and supportive. As you know, I love, 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 love the, the by the book podcast, which I think is really funny and and vulnerable. Um, and then, you know, what I've actually found is like, it's been really hard for me to just watch TV and movies lately because I just feel so amped up all the time that I feel like I need, it's hard for me to just sit and focus my attention on watching or consuming something. Like when I want to relax, I'll usually listen to a podcast while also doing something else like cooking. That's exactly... That's, I think, you know what, I think uh, you could say, considering that cottagecore has now become such a huge thing, (laughs) and with what you're saying, and with what I'm going to say, like, I feel strongly, I feel that a lot of us are coming down from our anxiety from our adrenaline addiction. And I think that that really touches on it because I feel the same thing. I'm like, I can't just sit and watch a movie. I have to sit and watch a movie and then maybe work on something for work or I have, or if I like, I'm like, I'm going to sit there and enjoy my coffee and just let my mind wander. And then after about eight minutes, I'm like, let me call my parents, our parents (laughs) and make sure that they're okay. And lecture them about safety regulations. And then let me call Trisha you. And then let me lecture her about marketing maybe and check up and make sure everything's going okay with that. And then maybe let me just go ahead and check my emails because you know, like there might be some stuff there and it's, almost like I can't like I can't just fucking sit and la dolce far niente <laughs> god damn it no so last what was it it was the night before last actually Alan came to mm-hmm. me and he was like um hey here's a crazy idea why don't we actually do something together this evening and I was lying Aww, in the hammock at the time so and I sweet. said it was sweet but I said you know what I actually need to just lie here in the hammock and feel Aww. full of anxiety and scroll mm-hmm. through my news feed instead <laughs> so 
Like he actually was kind of butt hurt, um, which Aww. is weird for him because Alan is usually the very like self-contained person who's like, hey, just do what you want. You you need to do this, go do this. I'll go over here and do my thing. He's mm-hmm. not at all a, a clingy husband or anything like that. Um, so I was actually surprised because he's like, yeah, every evening you're off doing something in the house. Like you never just sit here and watch a movie with me or a TV show. And so last night we actually took the time to make a movie night. And I even said, let's make it as though it's a real movie night where Uh the movie starts at seven o'clock. And if I'm not there, I'm going to miss the previews and everything else. So we have to do it at seven o'clock. And we made some popcorn and I made myself a little colada and we had some ice cream and we ate way too many calories. And yet you still were 95 pounds. (laughs) (laughs) No, we were not. (laughs) we were absolutely not um but yeah I'm finding so I'm trying to find some more movies and tv shows that are a little more uplifting but here's the thing too like when it comes to to watching tv shows I want it's it's really hard to choose something with Alan because Alan like movies are his art with Alan he really wants to watch good stuff Um, things that are artistically stimulating and interesting. And a lot of the time, those films are not the fantasy, take me away from my difficult life kind of movies. And for me, because I spend most of my my normal work hours, like reading poetry or reading great literature, when it comes to the evening relaxation time, like I want to watch something that's escapism. But Mm, I also have this, I have this, um, you know, I only have so much tolerance for a certain kind of escapism. Like, because I'm still me, I'm still sort of grounded in some kind of reality. So it's like, if you go too far away from my reality, I can't escape with you because I'm just like, all I can see is, is the fakeness of it. And I'm just like, I can't buy into this escapism. I'm just looking at this going, this isn't real. That's exactly what I was saying about Anne with an E because it's so far into escapism. Like, like we let's revision like history where it's kind of like, but I feel taken out of the story now. Yes. You have to have like this element of, it's real enough to be believable, but but like reality in its ideal form, like we've all had a year where it was just our best year and we want to live that year again, not hey, I'm going to go and, you know, be a princess in a castle because I can't buy into that at all. All of that is unrealistic, you know? So you don't like Disney? I like Disney. I mean, early, not now. I fucking hate <laughs> Disney now. I love the Disney Renaissance, right? The yeah. the nineties, the eight, like Little Mermaid, all the way up into Mulan. Well, Everything so after think, that was crap. I think that's actually kind of um, it's a little bit of the paradox because when you completely tell when you go so far into fantasy where it's just like look guys we're not presenting you reality at all we're presenting you with something that is a total fantasy and you can Mm -hmm. tell that we're not trying to mimic reality because we've got a mermaid we've got 
magic wands. We've got flying things. We've got, yeah. you know, I mean, reality has flying things, but we've got like flying unicorns. It's like, okay, now. Okay, wait, that's called a Pegasus, not a unicorn. A unicorn <laughs> lives in the forest. And a Pegasus has wings. So I feel like that was really upsetting to me and my mythological desires for accuracy. First of all, is the plural of Pegasus Pegasi or is it Pegasuses? I think it's just Pegasus. Like how elk, the plural of elk are just elk. Okay. So do Pegasus live in a forest? Do they live on a cloud? Where are they found? I think they are found in... From my personal knowledge that I'm going to make up right here on the spot, I'm pretty sure they originate from Mount Olympus. They're, they they live somewhere in Greece. Shut up. <laughs> and unicorns live in fucking like uh, the United Kingdom slash Great Britain, whatever. Duh. Okay. That's like just obvious. Yeah. So finding the right thing to to have um a relaxing uplifting experience with media is like this combination of finding something that is unique and interesting that does do a good job of actually exploring something real and human but also in a way that doesn't make me feel like I'm in school and I need to be taking notes and there's oh my god yes that was really <laughs> well that was like i i was trying to digest that while you were saying it wait so it is it's something that still you can relate to as a human being but something that's not so preachy where it's like i need to take notes yes. or like it's so like like we're doing a lesson today and i'm like i just want to watch a fucking show you fuck right, off it's so <laughs> it's so hard to do that because a lot of the times like alan will show me previews for shows or movies where i'm like yes that definitely looks artistically stimulating <laughs> that looks very well done that looks very thought-provoking how about we watch that at about nine o'clock on a monday morning in a classroom where i can take notes on it that's and exactly how i it. feel that's exactly yes. how I feel. Andrew actually makes fun of me every night and he like gets upset because he's like, you want to watch this show? And I'm like, no. And he's like, well, I don't want to sit out here and watch Bob's Burgers because every <laughs> every single night to zone out, I watch Bob's Burgers or the Golden Girls or It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I just uh, want to fucking zone out and enjoy my life. I don't want to have to like be stimulated by things that like, I just want to be stimulated in a laughy way, you know? Well, so Bob's Burgers... All right. So I'm going to tell you, cause I've been thinking about it now, like maybe my top, um, shows and movies that I think really do this very well. They, they make me feel like I'm growing as a person and I'm exploring something authentically and I'm a little bit more uplifted at the end, but I'm not, uh, so far removed that everyone's unbelievable. I think it's just, okay, here's actually going back to Gilmore Girls. It's funny that you say that Andrew, um, if he hears Emily in Paris from the other room, it makes him want to kill himself. Because when I was watching Gilmore Girls, Alan Emily in Paris makes me want to kill myself. <gasps> When I was watching Gilmore Girls, by the way, we don't advocate killing yourself just as a result of not oh, liking no. television. I, I meant just chop off my ears. Yes. So what I have found... No, it's just funny you brought that up because Alan had the same experience when I was watching the Gilmore Girls. He would tell me, you have to take that in the other room. And then if it was too loud and he could hear it from the living room, he'd be all like, you have to listen to that with headphones because just hearing yeah. it from the other room the cadence and the 
fakeness of the oh. sound of their voices and the way they yeah. talk is bothering me. It's it's not so like- true. <laughs> they they sound. You know what Gilmore Girls sounds like? It sounds like when you're you know when you're in theater. And mm-hmm. they make you do a speed read through your lines. That's what it fucking mm-hmm. sounds like. It sounds like no one's really digesting anything. Yes. They're just like speed reading through my lines. And I'm like, that's not very believable. Well, no. And that's the thing. Alan's like, no human beings talk this way. No human beings sound this way. No one's listening to each other. They're just yeah. getting, trying to get this witty dialogue out. And it's not even that witty. So it's not witty. (laughs) Okay. Now that we've dumped on the Gilmore girls a lot, what I'm going to say is one of the shows that, that does a really good job um, that we're, we've been really enjoying is actually from the creator of Gilmore girls. And it's the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And that one's actually really interesting because it explores, uh, you know, like the changing society from the 1960s and how women were becoming more empowered to take on these roles and be in comedy. And I think it, it kind of explores like relationships in the 1960s and gender dynamics. And it's still got that kind of like witty banter that's stylized. Way too fast. Way it's too way fast. too fast and it's way too stylized, but there's definitely something at it that's much more um, interesting and relatable and engaging. Mm. And I had no idea that it was from the creators of Gilmore Girls. I tried to watch The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel because you told me, told me I would love it. And mm-hmm. it looked good and it looked interesting. And I found the character so fucking irritating that I had to stop watching it. <laughs> I think we felt that way the first couple of episodes, but I think after a couple of episodes in, like, again, it's still highly stylized, but there's a lot more going on under the surface. And I think mm. the characters become much more relatable and engaging. So, so I would give it another shot. Watch, watch, watch it to the end of the first season, but, um, but you mm, might not no. like it. <laughs> I've already like been down that road and I'm just like I guess that's I like what you said like how the dialogue sounds so stylized I guess I guess that's what I really don't like about it it just feels so inauthentic but it's weird I I can like things that where I'm like that's not the picture of authenticity but I don't know it's a, it has the same problem as Gilmore Girls where I'm like shut up like shut the fuck you know what, up the- like you like that is so like the dialogue is so fucking fake. Okay, the other one that I want to piggyback off of on that is um speaking of things that are unrealistic, Jane the Virgin loved Jane the Virgin. And here's the thing, like it was the, really good though, because it mick it had really real authentic moments. Sorry, go ahead. No, you're absolutely right. And that's the thing. Like they had this very highly stylized lot device where everything was like a telenovela. In terms of what happened, you know, you had like characters had identical twins resurface out of nowhere. Sorry, spoiler alert. Um, And all of these like, you know, just unbelievable situations. But all of the characters were very real and identifiable and you didn't have them being fake. So it's like, yeah, real people. It was like. What? I'm sorry. I know what it was. Fucking what? Jane the Virgin was fucking balanced. You yes. had that really over-the-top stylized telenovela drama. But then when it came down to those like real moments, people were just talking like how you would talk. 
Yes. And the the thing is, it has balance. Gilmore Girls, I never felt like a balance there. I never felt like, even though during those like really emotional, authentic moments where it's really hard because your grandparents are super rich and they want to pay for your school, but then also <laughs> your dad is super rich and he wants to pay for your school. Even during those really authentic moments, I never felt true authenticity. I just felt like, I guess the dialogue maybe had a couple more pauses. No, it was the the dialogue's just kind of shallow and... It's super shallow. It is. Which is why I can't watch... I watched, I remember watching Sex and the City when I was, when I was like 18, Uh you know, and being like oh this is kind of like crazy and fun but also kind of a boring the character shallowness but then watching it as the age like more like the age of the characters starting out you know I I, in a really weird way I get incredibly triggered by it Mm. and I really find it disgusting because I feel like this you know even though there are some nice moments of female friendship um, that I really like mostly I just find there's these people are so disgusting disgustingly shallow and just really it it just makes me lose faith in humanity if people are really like that (laughs) yeah I I agree I mean oh well and maybe like that's what we're really looking for is stuff that makes us feel like our faith in humanity is restored Mm. just a teensy tiny bit more yeah let me give you the tv ones let me give you just like my five top five countdown okay for watching things in quarantine and getting a sense of uh, this is like the the escapism for the smart person. Okay, TV shows, and they're not all modern. You can definitely be rewatching some of these, but I would probably go with um, oh, here's one I don't know if you've heard of, but you should absolutely watch, which is called Dead to Me. I know Chris- you've recommended that. Yes, it's with Christina Applegate and uh, Linda Cardellini and it's dead to me is awesome um it comes from some really unexpected places it's dark comedy but it's also about forgiveness and female support uh and female friendships and it's funny and very bingeable and we loved it so that's one um the good place is just so funny and it's so philosophical and full of heart And there's a lot of like quoting about moral philosophy on it, but in a way that's not preachy, it's just thought provoking and super quirky and funny. And then speaking of quirky and funny and shows that quote philosophy and and, um, have great quotes from great literature, like my number one go-to show that I really wish I hadn't already seen it because if I hadn't already seen it, I would be loving to binge watch it right now during quarantine. My number one go-to, I think you know this, is Northern Exposure about uh, a guy named Joel Fleischman who comes from New York City out into the boondocks of the Alaskan wilderness and encounters all of these quirky people and quirky characters who are out there connecting with nature and getting away who from are somehow but they're somehow still believable like they're, they're quirky still... but they're like believable quirky well and you know what's really funny about northern exposure i realized like living in costa rica right now um yeah living in costa rica right now it's a lot like a tropical version of northern exposure a lot of the people that we meet are here because they wanted a simpler life and they have 
these, they're from all over the place. I've got a friend from Paris. I've got uh, friends from Germany. We have friends who are just from San Jose, Costa Rica, who moved out to Playa del Coco because they didn't want to be in the big city here. And they all have different backstories and different, um, you know, ways of seeing the world. But we all live here together and learn from each other in this very small town community. And it's really like it's really heartwarming to be here right now because you get to see what it's like to have just this mix of societies all together in one place with the common love of like walking on the beach and getting away from loud music. It's wonderful. That's not true. I'm sorry, but I was, that's so beautiful, Tricia. First of all, I'm going to say that. That's beautiful. (laughs) Second of all, when I was staying there, when we were vacationing with mom and dad in that specific, wait, where do you guys live again? Wait. Playa del Coco. Playa del Coco. I remember people would love to like blast their music and that really upset me and I was like what the fuck because you know I don't like that I don't like if I can hear someone else's music it really 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 upsets me no I can understand that bothers you I mean I will say like but that's the thing it's like on Friday and Saturday nights people do have parties usually with just their families and close friends and so they're no 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 no. a party (laughs) has three to four people and no more people that's an Elizabeth party and two of the people and two of the people are cats. <laughs> That's an Elizabeth party. I'm sorry. When you're like, people just have a party with their family and their family has like 15 people and they each have like 20 kids. And I'm like, God, damn it, but I'm no fun. Because then I just feel left out and lonely. So that's why I get so angry. A party is three to four people and two of them are cats. That means you have a constant <laughs> party at your house. Um, okay, give me your three. Okay, uh, if I would come up on the spot. So for movies and TV shows, like I will always recommend until I'm 90 years old. I, I'm probably even longer like in my next life, probably. I, I will recommend watching Xena Warrior Princess because that show is so badass. I just fucking love that show. I'm thinking about rewatching it again because it's so fucking good. It makes you just, it's like fantasy and fun, but there's also like sexy God of War. It's so hot. It's just a good show. I like it. I think it's, it's they, they have episodes that are really quirky and silly, but they also have episodes that are like really serious. It's about a badass female warrior who is like an anti-hero. Um, it's just good. And about female friendship. And yeah, I love it. Everyone watch See, that's Dina Warrior Princess. One, that's one of those shows that crosses so far into the level of fantasy that you're no, not... it's very real. It's very real. Oh, sorry. Sorry, my mistake. Yeah. Yes, you're right. Don't Dina tell Warrior me. Princess. Don't per- perception shame me. <laughs> <laughs> Unreality. Um, you know, everyone, everyone has their own perceptions. Just because your personal truth doesn't include centaurs that, that marry Amazons and then have babies with the Amazon... That's your problem. That I think I remember watching that episode with you, in fact. Yeah. Okay. No, well, you just, you, like, you imagine having a centaur baby when you're, like, a human woman. That sounds so painful. Okay. So, Xena Warrior Princess, for sure. And I'm just going to throw in Buffy, because I just recently uh, rewatched all of Buffy. Except the last season's so hard to get through, I can't even get through it. Um, 
I think these shows are really, I think they're really comforting to me because they're dealing with like these, you know, crazy monsters or like the Greek gods or, you know, fucking whatever. That's like so insane. It's really comforting because no one's dealing with quarantine and (laughs) super, super shitty, monstrous politicians. They're just dealing with, you know, Poseidon or something. (laughs) And that's, and that feels really, that feels really comforting to me to like be able to have like these representations of pure evil, not like Poseidon, I'm not saying, but these representations of like pure evil in like monster form. Right. Instead of human or human form or someone not wearing a mask form. Um, (laughs) So I find that comforting. I also... I think, oh, 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 we're going to talk about feeling good. The Great British Baking Show. I was so expecting you to say that. Yeah, there is nothing. There is like, whenever I feel really fucking down and I want to feel like everything is going to be okay, you watch some fucking British people bake Mm -hmm. and then talk about their baking as if they were surgeons. (laughs) It's just so comforting because you just, you just feel like, someone's going to sit there and talk about baking with a British accent and how their creme patassier like didn't turn out with the prop. It's like runny or something. You just feel like, well, life can't be that bad if someone's worrying about their creme patassier, right? <laughs> oh, so, I don't know. For me, British- I think <laughs> for me, that's another one of those ones that might be very enjoyable, but I would also feel like it would um encourage me or peer pressure me into getting out a sifter and trying to make mm-hmm. perfect cupcakes. No, it always I can't I can't watch it without all of a sudden being like, I'm gonna be a baker too, and then go in the kitchen <laughs> and do something that I may regret for very Yeah, reasons. absolutely. I think so. I mean, trigger warning for the Great British Baking Show. I don't see how someone could watch that and not be all like, I'm gonna go in there in the kitchen. And I'm going to fucking just real quick whip up like a pavlova or something. (laughs) I really want to make a pavlova, but I just don't have the patience. What is a pavlova? A pavlova is so like you have like the top layer is like um, a meringue, you Mm. know, like a like a hard meringue, I believe. Uh, I may be wrong in this, but hopefully I've watched enough seasons of the Great British Baking Show to know a couple things. Uh, it's like a hard meringue. And then you have, I think, I don't know if it's like, you have some sort of custard in the middle, like a like a creme pat or something. And then you have like berries. So it's like cream, lots of cream, lots of berries, and then like a hard meringue shell. And it's all stacked up. And we actually had it at Uncle John's, mm. um, Uncle Cousin John's. <laughs> birthday (laughs) we had it at his I think his birthday they had yes uh, they had a pavlova and it was my first and only time ever having it and I was like this is the best thing I've ever had I love that and I guess you could make it like gluten-free right yeah you probably could because it's just a meringue which is gluten-free and then you could probably if there's anything in the yeah so you know what it's healthy it's gluten-free (laughs) Hey, I'm also going to recommend that people listen to Elizabeth and Chris's other podcast, which I mentioned last week as well. Um, What is it? The Great great Exercise Shaming Show? 
No, we are anti-shaming. Well, at least Chris is. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, it's called uh, Brazen Fit Deconstructing Health and Fitness. Okay. So Deconstructing Health and Fitness. And it is very, it is basically, I know it sounds like, this sounds like lame, like to say like, it's real talk about fitness and nutrition, but it really it really fucking is. And, and, is. and guess what, everyone? Guess what? We don't push any f- sort of bullshit supplement fat burning crap where it's like, you don't have to, you don't have to do anything. Just take this fat burning crap. You, you know, we don't, water. we don't push you, that. Yeah. Um, I want to make one more plug and I saved this for last because it's the most recent and it was super good. But last night, the movie that Alan and I watched was a recent movie. It's one of the Oscar contenders. And I have to be careful about recommending this because I don't want mom and dad to find out about this movie because it will give them- disturbing. (laughs) It is going to give them entirely the wrong idea. Um, The movie is called Nomadland. Oh. Yeah. The movie is called Francis McDormand. Yeah, the movie is called Nomad Land with Francis McDormand, and it's one of the most beautiful, heartfelt movies. That again, it it could look like, oh, this is a really serious movie, and I'm gonna feel like I'm in school if I'm watching it because it deals with some political issues and it deals with personal issues and stuff like that. But it was so beautiful and poetic and engaging to watch that I was like, it goes on for like 20 minutes where nothing happens and you still are riveted and like, pause, pause it. I have to go get some more, uh, you know, I have to go refresh my drink, I but I don't want to miss any of this. I love really atmospheric movies. If there's like a sensual component, it's beautiful. It's atmospheric. It's it's got a lot of these gorgeous shots of America. So just if you have, where does it take place? America. Let me tell. Oh. I mean, let me wow, tell. Wow, thanks. Oh, because she's let nomadic, so it's all over America. Because nomad. Yeah, say that again. So it's. Nomad land, so she's nomadic. So when you, so that was probably stupid to be all like, <laughs> where does it take place? Well, like around because the nomads. Oops. It takes place in the American <laughs> West, and just the basic rundown of the movie is that um, there's a woman who lives in Nevada, and during the Great Recession, she loses her job, and her husband passes away, and so she decides to live out of her van. I think she loses her house. Oh God, you're right. Mom and dad can't see this. Yeah. They're already that close to doing that. Instead of living in her house, she moves into a van and she meets other people who are also intentionally nomads. A lot of them are nomadic because they have very, very limited means Um, but some of them, it's also because they love the culture and she meets other people and they help one another out and they form friendships. And, um, one of the things that's really amazing about the movie is there's only two actors in it, only two professional actors. It's Frances McDormand, who is so engaging and watchable. And then it's, um, 
I forget the name of the other actor. He's in a lot of John Sayles movies. Um, most, most people probably would not know him, but Alan knew him. Um, <laughs> and Because you guys are pompous film buffs. We are. Uh, one of us is, anyways. <laughs> I and, remember Alan got, got really upset with me because I told him I love Forrest Gump and I thought it was a really good movie. Uh-huh. And then he just looked he at me just so... I don't know. He just looked at me like, oh, you're so quaint. I don't know. <laughs> oh, okay. So it's Francis McDormand and David Stratham. Uh, David Strathern. And then everyone else in the the movie are real people. Real people that they... Not like actors who are, who are fake people, who are fake robots. <laughs> <laughs> no, everyone else... Let me put it this way. Everyone else is playing themselves. Ooh. Yeah, and it's really interesting. It's beautifully That's shot. a good way to make sure you don't have to pay actors. <laughs> so cynical. I know, um, but I mean, come on. You're like, I don't have much of a budget. Uh, yeah, and I also want authenticity. I'll just make these people sign a contract that says I can use like their likeness and <laughs> and stuff, and they're now they're now in my movie. Well, whatever, whatever you think about that, it, it's also very possible that they just wanted to shine a light on real people in America. They make a documentary. Sorry, just kidding. It sounds wonderful. I actually want to see it. You know, in all honesty, like I'm not sure if it could have done the same. Um, I like this combination of being like half documentary, half. No, uh, I'm actually just joking. I really actually think that is kind of brilliant. And I yes. really like that idea. But I also, the cynical part of me is like, what a great way to not pay people. Yeah. So you would <laughs> Maybe love they it. Maybe they got paid. I don't know. I'll tell you what. Um, you would love it. Mom and dad would love it. But then they'd be all like, let's sell our house and buy an RV yeah, and go across we the can't country. Let them, we can't let them watch it. We cannot. Yeah, so, no, no. Here's, here's what you do. You have to wait until after they've bought a house. Ah. And then they can watch it. Yes. No, actually, I changed my mind. That's not going to stop them. You can't let no, them they watch would just... it. They're just going to want to go into an RV and drive across country. Oh, God. Okay. okay. Um, all right. So those are my recommendations. Those are your recommendations. That uh, That is a lot to Thank throw you. at our listeners. Stop listening to You know to what? Other, it's other not like you have anything better to do with your life. And if you do, you're not properly quarantining. Or you're an, an absolute essential worker. And thank you for your service. You know, because you're the fucking, like... I want to say something that's not cliche. So I don't want to say backbone, but I want to say like, say, keep, keep us all going. Thank you for your service. Yes. Like people who are essential workers who are out there fucking not getting paid enough. They should be paid more. Absolutely. Thank Absolutely. you for your service. Uh, all right. Well, that wraps us up for this episode of in my happy place. Get out some popcorn, pour yourself a beverage of some kind uh, and work on undoing your addiction to adrenaline by chilling out in front of an actual movie oh yeah that sounds i mean yes let's all do that all right Ugh. thank you trisha okay i love you bye bye <laughs>